0: Good morning. Morning, It's good to see you all here. Um, We're going to be reading in Mark chapter 5. If you guys want to open your Bibles there. Uh, We'll be reading through verses 1 through 20. We're going to look at the story of a man commonly known as the demoniac of Gadara and his encounter with Christ. Mark's gospel, along with Matthew and Luke, present us with the most descriptive account of a man with an unclean spirit. Father God, I thank you for your people that were gathered here together to study your word, to worship you, to learn more about you and your son and his encounter with this man. And I pray. What's that? Uh, Joe, you went? Amen. There <laughs> 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 no problem. When they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the gatherings. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there he met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and cried out with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. He also begged him earnestly, that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were, there were about 2000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he had gotten to the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Let's start at verse 1 here. Um, Remember, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, Mark and Luke also record um, Jesus healing the demoniac. Luke 8:28, excuse me, Luke 8:26 says, then they sailed to the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. Jesus and the disciples left Galilee and went to Gadara or the Gadarenes to prevent any confusion. These are two names for the same place and they're used interchangeably. There, the area is known as modern-day uh, Garasa, and it's one of the cities that made up the Decapolis, or the Ten Cities region. This region is on the east side of the Galilee. During the, of Christ, during the time of Christ, the Decapolis was inhabited by a majority of Hellenists who ascribed to a Greek worldview. They were Gentiles. Dur- Hellenists were basically humanists who believed that humans are the ultimate source of truth. The culture was very different than in Galilee. It was pagan. Verses 2 and 4. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had dwelling amongst the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broke in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. As soon as Jesus stepped foot on the shore, he met a man with an unclean spirit. He met a demon-possessed man. To get a more complete picture of this man, we must look to Luke chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 8. Picture a man who probably had the appearance of an animal. He would have been filthy from living in the tombs. He would have had supernatural strength. He would have been able to break chains and shackles. Matthew tells us that the demoniac was from the city and kept under watch of guards. The guards and the chains together could not hold him. Mark said he was often bound. He broke free again and again. Imagine the terror of the guards as they held him down and tried to chain him up just to see him break the chains again. He broke those chains like they were nothing. Luke tells us that eventually the the demon drove the man out into the wilderness. This man was not out in the tombs for a week or even a month. Luke said he had demons for a long time. Matthew says the man was exceedingly fierce. Luke said he was naked. Now here's where things get really scary. Verse 5, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. The demoniac of Gadera was wild in appearance. Most likely he had long, unkempt hair and a disheveled beard. He would have been covered in dirt and grime from the tombs in the wilderness. The dirt would have been mixed with dried blood from the times he had cut himself. Other times he'd have blood running down his arms or legs. All this while being naked. This pitiful soul would almost look unhuman. No doubt his cries would send shivers down the back of the local townspeople. What was it like for the fishermen on Galilee as they approached the Gadarenes, hearing the shrieks coming from a madman? It must have been terrifying. Think of the children in town hearing screams at night coming from the wilderness. It's tempting to gloss over this passage without giving proper, giving it proper thought. This man would have frightened everyone who ever saw him, who ever heard him, or even heard stories about him. This passage is important to us today because it shows us that demon possession is real. Usually, it's written as had a demon, or as Mark records, with an unclean spirit. Today, we commonly... Attributes strange behavior to mental illness. Demon possession and mental illness are both real. Neither one should be dismissed. We don't blame all mental illness on demon possession. People experience various forms of mental health disorders, such as depression, anxiety, and even schizophrenia. We do a great disservice to people who suffer from mental illness if we accuse them of being filled with a demon. Simply put, we don't overemphasize or underemphasize demonic activity in the world today. Another important thing about demon possession that you need to know is that a Christian cannot be possessed. As a Christian, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says... Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? The Holy Spirit lives in us. When we place our faith in Christ, he takes up residence in our very body. In Exodus 20, when God gave the Ten Commandments, he said, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. God is jealous. And he does not share what belongs to him. As Christians, we belong to Christ. Paul, writing to the Colossians, said, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, of His love, in whom we have redemption through blood and the forgiveness of sins. We do not have to fear the power of darkness. We are in Christ's kingdom. Let's also look at Romans 8 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit, he is not his. If a person does not have the Holy Spirit, they do not belong to Christ. The negative also implies an opposite truth. If you have the Spirit, you are his. Let's get back to our text in verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. The demoniac saw Jesus and ran toward him. Luke says the man fell down before Mark. Excuse me. Luke said the man fell down before Jesus. (laughs) Here in Mark, we see that he worshipped Jesus. Luke makes a note about how the demoniac frequently sees the man. Perhaps in a moment of lucidity, the human part of the demoniac knew that Jesus was the only one who could save him. He ran to Jesus and worshipped him. But he didn't worship Jesus in the way that a follower of Christ would worship Jesus. He did not worship him in spirit and in truth. He fell at Jesus' feet. The word here used for worship is proskuneo, and it means to bow one's knees and place their forehead on the ground or lay in a prone position. In that culture, proskuneo, is a way to show respect or homage to a person of superior rank. We know that in every, every situation, Jesus is always superior. All things are under his feet, and he is head over all things. The next two verses, 7 and 8, can be a bit tricky. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, that you do not tempt me. For he had said, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. The verses actually read backwards. To better understand the flow in modern English, we would read them as, Jesus said, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And the man responded with a loud voice, saying, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you that you do not torment me. Jesus actually cast, or, commanded the spirit out first, as opposed to the way the text reads. Jesus saw the man. He knew that the man had a demon, and he instantly commanded the demon to leave the man. The demon responded to Jesus, not the man. The demon knew who Jesus was. Satan knows who Jesus is, and so do fallen angels. The demon addresses Jesus as son of the most high God, And he is correct. There are many people who know about Jesus. They believe in the historical Jesus. They may even believe that Jesus is the Son of God. People, People can have good theology and fail to take the most important step. They fail to put their trust in Jesus. He is waiting for a relationship with any person who has not placed their faith in him. The enemy of your soul has perfect theology, but it cannot save. James 2.19 says, You believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The demon was afraid of Jesus, and he used a common tactic in that era. That era, There was a superstition that if you knew a person's exact name, you would have power over them spiritually. The demon was trying to engage in a spiritual battle with Jesus. How ridiculously futile. The demon begs not to be tormented. Matthew says that the demon asked if Jesus was going to torment him before the time. The demon knows what awaits him. He will spend eternity with his master, Satan. Revelations 19.10 says the devil, who deceived them, was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where beast and false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night and ever. No wonder the demons tremble. They're fighting from a position of defeat. Hell was not created for humans. It was created for the devil and his fallen angels. God does not send anyone to hell. God respects people's wishes and choices. If a person chooses to live life without Christ, God will not force him to spend eternity with Christ. Hell is real and people are going there, unless they are told about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, Paul gives us an encouraging word to each one of us. He wrote, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear him without a preacher? How shall shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. It's absolutely wonderful To think about how God uses us to spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the confrontation between Jesus and the demon. Verse 9. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Jesus asked the demon his name, and we don't exactly know why. It's been suggested that Jesus acts so he would know the extent of the problem, but that just doesn't seem right. One one thing we can be sure of is that Jesus was not playing into the ancient superstition of saying names for spiritual power. Jesus was in control of the situation, and the demon knew it. When the demon that has answered his name was Legion, he was avoiding Jesus' question. The demon purposely did not answer. He did not provide his name. Legion is not the demon's name. Legion refers to a Roman military legion that had 6,000 men and 120 horsemen. The demon's spokesman, if you will, indicated the vast number of demons that inhabited the man. The demon, quite foolishly, was trying to intimidate Jesus. In Colossians 1, 16 and 17, Paul writes, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. The very universe and all created things in it are being sustained by Christ. As the creator of the universe, Jesus is always in control and was never intimidated by an unclean spirit. Another example of this is found in Luke chapter 4, in verse, beginning in verse 33. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What are we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And when the demon had thrown himself in its midst, excuse me, let me back up there. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. But they were all amazed and spoke amongst themselves, saying, What a word is this? For what authority and power? He commands unclean spirits, and they come out. The demon here in Luke 4 is another example of demons having correct theology. He called Jesus the Holy One of God. The demon spoke the truth. Jesus is the Holy One of God. It's almost humorous to see how Jesus basically shushes the demon when he says, be quiet. Then commanded the demon to leave the man. Jesus really is far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Next, the legion petitions our Lord. In verse 10, Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Luke's account states, And they begged him he would not command them to go out into the abyss. The legion did not want to go out into the abyss. This is probably a reference to the bottomless pit mentioned in Revelations 9-11. The legion did not want to be disembodied. Again, they know where they're going to go at the end of the age. They follow the lead of the devil, who roams about like a roaring lion, seeking people to devour. The reasons demons want to possess people is because they hate humans, because we are created in the image of God. Their only goal is to destroy life and cause torment. We don't have to fear them, though, because we belong to Christ. However, there is a lost and dying world out there that desperately needs the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Verse 11. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about two thousand. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea, and drowned in the sea." A lot has been said about the pigs. People allegorize what the pigs mean. The pigs are not central to this story. The demons could have possessed a herd of cows or camels. The pigs merely reinforced the idea that the Gadara was a Gentile region. Now we see all of the demons begging Jesus. Imagine the sound of 2,000 demons begging Jesus. Imagine the shrieking and the wailing of wretched, hell-bound beings. It must have been terrifying to the disciples and the, the swine handlers. Jesus consented and the pigs ran into the sea and died. We see there was about 2,000 pigs, so we can deduce there was roughly 2,000 demons in the man. It's startling to think that it's possible for so many unclean spirits to inhabit one man. The vast number of demons serves to underscore man's capacity for evil. The demon possessed pigs running into the sea and dying shows us the ultimate goal of our enemy, and that's death. The enemy wants to separate us from Christ whether that be through unbelief or ineffectiveness. Our enemy will use every deception and will counterfeit the truth to achieve one goal, our ultimate destruction. When one lost sinner dies without Christ, the enemy achieves its goal. Verse 14, So those who fled fed the swine, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. The pig farmers witnessed the entire event. They had to share their story with the people of Decapolis. We have another story of a person who had an encounter with Christ and had to share their story. In John chapter 4, after speaking with Jesus, the Samaritan goes into the city to tell the men about the man who knew everything she ever did. She beckoned the men of the city to come see Jesus, which they did. The pig handler's story got the people from the Decapolis to go out to see Jesus. Verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. The people saw the formerly demon-possessed man Wearing clothes, and sane. It's reasonable to think some time had elapsed. Since the legion was cast out, it would have taken time to go to town, tell the story, and return with the people from the city and the countryside. Remember the man in his former condition. He was subhuman. He was filthy dirty. He was bloody. He was shrieking out like a wild banshee. Now he's with Jesus. It would be unlikely that the disciples put clothing on a, on a filthy man. Perhaps he washed in the Sea of Galilee and groomed himself. Think about the before and after television programs you've seen where they take a, a dirty, disheveled homeless man, clean him up, cut his hair, give him a shave, present him wearing a new suit. He goes from grungy to dapper. The demoniac's transformation was like that, but infinitely better. The man's countenance was changed. Before he was a fierce, snarling beast, the embodiment of evil. Now he's at peace. It's evident by the tranquility present on his face. Jesus changed his life. Jesus still changes lives. He has been doing it for almost 2,000 years. We have many examples of Jesus changing people's lives in the scriptures. Luke 19 tells the change in the life of Zacchaeus, a tax collector, who after meeting with the Lord, restored the money he had gotten dishonestly. We have Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons, ministering to Jesus after he healed her. Jesus cleansed lepers, he healed the blind, cured the sick, and even rose people from the dead. In one of these events, in each one of these events, Jesus changed these people's lives. The demoniac here presents us with an illustration. He is a picture of the people that we think are too far gone to be saved. We all know someone who deep down inside we think are just too far gone. They're too rebellious. They're too mean. Or they're too nasty to be saved. The demoniac proves that no one, no one is too far from the love of Christ. In 1975, a young man in New York began to hear the voices of demons who tormented him and told him to commit murder. He acted on those voices and attacked a 15-year-old girl with a knife, severely injuring her. The following year, the man heard voices of demons coming from the neighborhood dogs, also telling him to murder young women. He acted on those voices and terrorized New York City for almost a year. He killed six people and wounded another seven. At the scene of one of these murders, he left a note telling authorities who he was. He called himself the Son of Sam, and he is still regarded as one of America's most notorious serial killers. The Son of Sam's name is David Berkowitz. He was arrested on August 10, 1977, and sent to prison for his crimes against humanity. While in prison, he met a man And befriended a man named Rick. Rick told David Berkowitz that Jesus loved him and wanted to forgive him. He gave David a Bible. Rick shared that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. One night in 1987 Berkowitz was reading Psalms 34 6 which says this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. At that moment, the son of Sam, serial killer, cried out to Jesus and asked him to forgive him of his sins. He is no longer called the son of Sam, now he's called the son of hope, and he has led a successful prison ministry and used his testimony to tell others of the power of Jesus Christ to save and transform lives. Jesus truly has come to seek and save that which is lost. Let's reread those last two verses, starting in 15. They came to Jesus and saw one who had been demon possessed and had the legion, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine. Luke's account offers one detail about this that Mark does not record. Mark tells us the man was sitting, but Luke said that he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's no better place to sit than at the feet of Jesus. Most of you know the story of Mary and Martha. Martha was busy serving Jesus and became frustrated when her sister Mary was not helping her. You see, Mary had chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus. When Martha voiced her irritation to Jesus, he responded by saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. The demoniac here was surely facing many things, the legion inside of him. But when he was in his right mind, he was focused on one thing. He was focused on the right thing. He was focused on Jesus. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Time spent with Jesus is never wasted time. Getting back to the people who had gone out to see Jesus, we see that they were afraid. There's an old saying, Better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. The people of Gadara knew what to expect from the demoniac, but now things have changed. They've seen the man that no one could tame. What kind of power could do this? It filled them with fear. They didn't know what to anticipate. The people's response is recorded in verse 17 they began to plead with him to depart from their region. After seeing the miraculous, the people asked Jesus to leave. The people reacted completely opposite to the Samaritan man in John 4. Verse 40 tells us, So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days, and many more believed because of his own word. The men of Gadara, and the men of Samaria Samaria, met Jesus. One group urged Jesus to stay. The other pleaded with them to leave. There is a very vitally important concept here. Jesus will not stay where he is not wanted. But he's also ever-present to those who call out to him. If you do not want Jesus into your life, he will not force his way into it. God in his wisdom has created us with free will. We can choose him or reject him. We can acknowledge Jesus as the God-man who takes away sin, or we can reject him and deny that he is God. Looking back to verse 7, remember the legion called Jesus the Son of the Most High God. Even demons cannot reject the deity of Christ. They know the truth. Man is the only creature with the capacity to reject the deity of Christ every single other created being knows who he is he is Jesus king of kings and lord of lords and he loves you and he died for you he rose for you he ever lives to make intercession for you he is the author and the finisher of your faith he is your bread of life he is your living water. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Draw close to Jesus, and he will draw close to you. He will never leave you or forsake you. James 4.8 tells us, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Verse 18. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Jesus did what the men of Gadara asked. He left. He got into the boat. As Jesus did this, the formerly demon-possessed man begged to go with him. The man did not want Jesus for what Jesus could do for him. He wanted to be near Jesus because of who Jesus was. He no longer needed healing. He needed Jesus. But Jesus did not allow the man to accompany him. Jesus had better plans. The man, we'll call him he who had been demon-possessed, is going to become an evangelist. He's given specific instructions. Go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. He who had been demon-possessed did not waste time. He did as he was instructed. He proclaimed what Jesus had done for him. He told his story. He told about the devils that lived in him. He told people about the chains and the shackles. He told people about the life in the tombs. He showed people the scars from the years of cutting himself. He told people about the torment that he experienced day and night. But most of all, he told people about Jesus. He told people that Jesus had set him free. He told people about his new life. He told people about his Savior. When people asked him why Jesus had come to the gatherings, he would have said, For me. He came for me. He had compassion on me. We're told that the people of Decapolis marveled. How could they have not? He who had been demon-possessed would have been infamous in the region. Everyone would have heard his story. We know he had previous encounters with the local people. His new encounters would be the polar opposite. A man full of the love and the joy of Christ. The transformation would have caused amazement. People no doubt had to ask, how did this happen? Note the verse doesn't say that some marveled, it says that all marveled. The record is silent, so we shouldn't speculate, but it's nice to think that some people perhaps trusted in Christ as a result of this man's testimony and the compassion of Christ. You see, the compassion of Christ is one of his defining characteristics. We see him having compassion on the multitudes because they were, worried and scat- they were weary and scattered, So he taught them many things. Again, he had compassion on the multitude, and he healed their sick. And yet again, he had compassion on the multitude, because they had nothing to eat, so he fed them. He had compassion on the blind, and healed them. He had compassion on a leper, and cleansed him. He had compassion on the widow of Nain, whose son has died, and rose him back to life. When we first read about the demoniac here in chapter 5, we don't know why Jesus left Galilee and sailed for the Gadarenes. No one called for Jesus. In Mark 9, a man brings his son to Jesus because the boy has a demon. The father acted on the boy's behalf. He asked Jesus to help his son. Nobody did this for the man of the Gadarenes. Jesus went from Galilee to the Galilee, to the Gadarenes, For one reason. He had a divine appointment. He had compassion on one poor pitiful soul. Jesus still has compassion on a single soul today. Jesus has compassion on you. The demoniac left his encounter with Jesus, a changed man with a changed life. Jesus still changes lives. He can change yours. Jesus traveled across the Sea of Galilee for one man. Jesus left heaven. He died on the cross and rose three days later for you. And he would have done it if you were the only person on earth that was in need of forgiveness of sins. Father, thank you for your word and the picture of your son Jesus and how much he loves just the one man and how much he loves us. We thank you for sending him for the remission of sin. And then we have the opportunity to spend eternal life with Christ in heaven. Amen. So I've got just a couple of things that are not sermon-related for you. Um, Now that Sam is gone on sabbatical, we all have a bit of a responsibility. Um, When Sam and Bethany are on sabbatical, we all have the responsibility not to reach out to them. We have the responsibility not to call them, not to text them, not to email them, not to send a carrier pigeon. The only exception to this rule is people whose last name is Talmud or Fawn. If you want to commute, if they want to commute with communicate with you, they will reach out to you. If you really feel the need to communicate with them, just call somebody else. Also, re- a reminder that Sam has encouraged us to call and eat and have coffee with one another, so just second encouragement on that. And lastly, uh, we're going to bring back an, an old thing we used to do. Uh, we're going to offer prayer on either sides of the stage after service every Sunday. Um, today it's going to be Vernon and Jody and Alan and Carol. So anybody who would like prayer or needs prayer, uh, that's, we're going to do this every Sunday after service up in front. Let's stand for the doxology. Yeah, John, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Amen. Do I get to say it? Yep. You <laughs> are said. Yeah.